So I'm glad for all the dads who are here today because of your desire to let God work on you, right? And to be an influence on your children and on your kids. But it's also a very difficult day for a lot of different reasons. Part of that reason is because some of you didn't have great examples of a dad. Some of you who had a dad who was not even present in your life to be any kind of an influence on you. Some of you um, have lost your dad this year. This is my first Father's Day without my dad. Here's a picture of me and my dad. Aren't I cute there? Oh my goodness. Um, I don't know, what am I, three or four years of age? I'm not quite sure. So that was many, many years ago there. Here's a picture of my father and me um, just uh, this last winter time. And so I last lost my dad in December, so that makes this a very difficult day. I think it's also a difficult day for dads because there's not a dad among us who feels like we measure up to the kind of dad that we, we wish we would have been or that we want to be. It just, it's just the way it goes for us. But it's also a difficult thing for us as dads because the honest truth of it is it's difficult um, to keep our values and our priorities in the place that they ought to be, right? Our values and our priorities as dad, they just kind of naturally get out of whack. So here's a little bit of an encouragement for you. See Dad? Ta. I'll put it on later. A bit, yeah, I'm just... Actually, can you get me a drink? Son? Dad? So, this is where you've been? Hey, I'll set up be with you in a minute. That was 30 years ago. What? Well, you know... We thought you'd run off. I am not that kind of dad. I've been right here, son. Here? In the sofa? You can talk. Look, I know I haven't been the best dad. Who is? Any help? Oh, oh, you can go when you've done with the, uh, I told them it'll be a minute. All right, Dad. Happy Father's Day. Zach, let's go play. Some roasted peanuts would be nice. Well, we all struggle with getting our priorities out of whack. 
It happens to every single one of us. Um, it's a challenge in our lives to, to, to not get messed up. I know I struggle with it greatly, you know, and the question that really comes down to it is, how do I, how do I keep my values in the place they need to be? Because this impacts us whether we're a blue-collar dad or a white-collar dad, right? Whether we're a dad who works at home or we're a dad who works in an office or we're a dad who works in a truck. I mean, it affects all of us. It's a struggle for all of us, whether we're a dad who has a lot of money or we're a dad who has a lot of debt or we're both of those, right? We all struggle with this, keeping our values straight because there's such a pull in our lives from the world that we happen to live in. How do we keep our values from drifting? How do, how do we keep that from happening? That's the big question. It really is. Because I think most of us know that there's some things that need to be different in our life that we want to make sure is different in our life. And so how do we keep those values straight? And I'm thankful that God knows that we struggle with this. We're not the first people to struggle with this. This is a universal, kind of an eternal struggle that we have. How do we keep our values and our priorities straight? And I'm thankful for Jesus and the words that he shares with us about how we, we do that. And so we're in a, starting a series today just simply entitled, What Does Jesus Say About? And we're going to spend this whole series in the Gospel of Luke chapter 6. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 6. Those of you who are online, turn to Luke chapter 6. There is some very significant teaching that Jesus gives to us here. And so we're going to talk about things like our values, we're going to talk about how do we get along with people that we hate, we're going to talk about what do we do about a judgmental spirit, but today we're going to ask this question, what do we do about our priorities in our life and how do we keep them straight? How do we help them to continue to honor what God wants? And so how, where do I get my values is probably one of the most important questions because all of us as dads, all of us as human beings, we live in this earth. And on this world, there's all kinds of influences. And who we choose to listen to is going to make a huge impact on whether our values actually warp us into not being the people that we want to become or whether our values help us to become the people that God had in mind all along. And so our vision for this whole year is that we're spending the whole year in the Gospel of Luke because we know that if we search after Jesus with all of our hearts, that He's the one who can rescue us. We know that the more time we spend getting to know Jesus in His Word, what we discover are things like what He values and what priorities are and how we can bring that to bear in our hearts and our lives. And so today... For the dads particularly, but for all of us, I, I want to challenge you to build into your life a way that you can evaluate your priorities. You know, you don't have to do it every day. You may not even need to do it every week, but somehow that you can come <clears throat> face to face with this question, are my values in line with the values of Jesus? You see, life is only worth living when we allow our values to line up with the one who made us. Because he knows how we work best. He knows how life works best. And so today, I really want to challenge and encourage 
all of the dads, but every single one of us, to spend time taking a look at do my values line up with the values of Jesus Christ. And so I want you to turn to Luke chapter 6. Let me set this up for us a little bit here, all right? So I'm going to begin reading in verse 17 so we kind of know what's happening here. So it says this, He, we're talking about Jesus, went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples were there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and was healing them all. So Jesus is setting himself up to do some teaching here. Now, who are the people that are present? So we have basically three groups of people. We have the apostles. Now, they're not mentioned here other than it says he went down with them. So if you look earlier in the chapter, you discover that Jesus has just picked his 12, his 12 apostles, kind of the core of who it is that he's going to spend time with. But then you also learn that there's a large crowd of his disciples. So a disciple just simply means one who is following after Jesus Christ. So they're committed to Jesus, all right? So you got the core, the apostles, you got the disciples, the, the committed. And then he goes on and says there's a great number of people from all over the place. And that's the crowd. I mean, they, they're there, why? Because um, they like the teaching of Jesus. Um, Jesus has this personality that draws people to him, but he's feeding them, he's healing them. You know, it's just, they're there because this is great to be there. And today we have all three present, right? We have people who are kind of at the core of what it is to be a follower of Jesus. We have many of us who are the committed, right? We are committed to following after Jesus and then there's some of us, we're just a part of the crowd, whether you're online or in present, where we're just, we're interested in Jesus, or, you know, maybe we had to come today because dad made us come, but we're here, you know, and we want to learn something more about him. Now, who is he specifically speaking to out of all of those people? Well, notice what he says there at the beginning of verse 20, looking at his, what, his disciples, so what we discover here is that Jesus is kind of in, in his ministry now. He's turned to talking to not just everybody, but he's turned to talking to those who said, I want to follow after you. He's turned to his disciples. What we're going to see is Jesus is going to kind of turn up the heat in regard to being a follower of his. He is beginning in chapter 6, as he teaches here, to talk about what it is to really be a disciple, what it is to follow the values, the demands, the expectations of what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's very challenging. In fact, Jesus, though he is known for teaching and drawing a crowd, Jesus is really better at getting rid of the crowd. It's a terrible church growth strategy. It really is. The teaching of Jesus. I don't know if you notice that or not, but if you look at some of the teaching, and you're going to discover some of it here, it's like, you know, Jesus, this is not drawing people to you. In fact, if you go to John chapter 6, the teaching of Jesus is so profound that literally hundreds and thousands of people walk away from him. And yet, 
This is at the heart of what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's costly to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So several years ago, we had a, a, a baptism weekend where we encouraged several people of our church to, to step across the line in following Jesus Christ. It was a very special weekend, but as I was talking to a handful of the people on that Sunday who were going to be baptized, one of the things I mentioned was, well, you know what, now you're going to have a target on your back. Satan's going to be after you. And it was that week when one of the ladies who made that decision to be baptized, she said, you know, that really bothers me a lot. For you to say that I have a target on my back because now I'm following Jesus Christ. I don't say that. That's what Jesus says. That there are some challenging things in order to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so what's this challenging teaching? Well, look what he says beginning in verse 20. So he's again teaching his disciples, looking at his disciples. He said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, exclude you, insult you, reject you as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets." Now, can you imagine being in the crowd and hearing that kind of crazy teaching? Blessed are you who are poor, those of you who are hungry. Blessed are you who are weeping and wailing. Blessed are you when people hate you and they insult you and they don't want to have anything to do with you. Now, there's a little bit of a difficulty. Um, you may be familiar with what's called the Beatitudes. And it is... Matthew, who gives us what are the most well-known Beatitudes in what's called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So again, in the Gospels, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the uh, four writers who tell the life of Jesus under the guidance of God, sometimes they tell the same stories, sometimes they tell different stories. And so the confusion here is, is Luke telling the same thing that Matthew recorded, or is this a different teaching? Or did Luke make this up? Or did Luke summarize it? In other words, is this the same kind of teaching? And the likelihood of it being a different teaching is fairly significant. For example, if you look in verse 17, back at the beginning, what does it say? He went down with them and he stood on a level place. Okay, so now in this teaching, he's on a level place, but why do you think they call it the Sermon on the Mount? Because it was given on a mount. So it's likely because they're in two different places, but what's more significant is the content. It's different. If you go back in Matthew 5, what is it, like verses 3 through 12 or something in there, there's several more Beatitudes there, and they're a little bit different. But then what's also different in Luke's passage as he tells the teaching of Jesus here is there's this very significant contrast, right? It's not just blessed are you, but what he does here is he gives you a significant contrast. Look, verse 24, but woe to you who are rich, for you've already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for this is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. I mean, Jesus, 
I mean, this is very significant words. These are words of great warning here. And again, you would say, Jesus, this is not the way to draw a crowd. At least wait until after the offering. Let us give the offering first, and then you can do this teaching, right? I mean, it's like this. So let's take a moment and think about these two key words, all right? So we have the word blessing, and we have the word woe. All right, so the word blessing, it's a Greek word there, the word makarios, makarios. Everybody say that with me, makarios. All right, that's the Greek word. It means to be happy. Um, it means to be divinely favored. It was a word that was oftentimes attached to the gods, you know, that they would divinely favor someone. Um, it's the same word that Jesus used that Matthew records in Matthew 5. It's used several different times in Scripture, like Psalm 1, blessed is the one who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, and it goes through that. So it's not a command, but it's more of a promise. Now, the other word is the word woe. That is the Greek word uai. Uai. Everybody say that with me. Uai. Now, when you say this word, though, you have to get the pain going in your voice, okay? So it's almost like get the pain expression on your face and go like this. Uai. Can you do that? Those are not very pained expressions, right? Come on now. You can do better. It's one of those words, and I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce it, that means what it says or sounds like what it means, right? Anybody know what that is? I knew there would be somebody in here who would know what that is. It is a word that describes this almost sense of horror of a person who goes down this path. That's the word and how it's connected. Woe to them. It, it's not that Jesus is judging someone. He's just simply saying, this is the result of the person who travels down this pathway. And it's such a contrast to the values that we see in our world today, right? I mean, what Jesus is saying, you are blessed or you're happy when you're what? When you're poor, when you're hungry, when you're weeping, and when everybody hates you. And then he turns around and, and says, but woe to you who are what? Rich, who are well-fed, who are laughing, and everybody speaks well of you. I don't think this would be on anyone's list of their top goals in life, right? I mean, it's like, no, Jesus, this doesn't even make sense. What are you, you, know, what are you talking about? This, this is crazy here. So again, the word blessing. This is not four different categories of four different people. What we have here is a description of the same person. Blessed are you. And all of these things are a part of their life. But it is, they are in that particular position simply because they've chosen to follow Jesus. In fact, look at what he says in verse 22. Blessed are you when people hate you, exclude you, insult you because of the Son of Man. You see, they're in this position because they've chosen to follow Jesus Christ. In fact, in that particular day, a choice for Jesus most often meant you lost everything. Because Jesus predominantly was preaching and teaching to Jews. And so if you were a part of a Jewish family and you said, I think Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one, 
Most of your family, they would have rejected you. You would have been kicked out of your family. You couldn't have gone to church anymore with all of them. In fact, you would have been declared unclean and could not have even gone into the sanctuary, the the opportunity to worship there. You literally, by choosing Jesus, would have lost everything, and yet people still chose to follow Jesus. But they are blessed not because of their status, poor, hungry, weeping, hated. They're blessed because of their focus. They're following after Jesus Christ. The blessings come because of who they choose to put their trust in. And they choose to put their trust in Jesus Christ. Now the woes, again, they're not four different categories of different people. They describe the same person here. They're they're descriptive of this same person, but this person follows themselves. And they are not in this category of woe because of their status, that they're rich or that they're well-fed or that they're laughing or that everyone speaks well of them. They're in this category because of their focus. And their focus is solely on themselves that they put themselves first, that they put their trust in themselves first. Blessed are the poor, and woe to the rich. So does this mean, Doug, that if I want to be blessed by God, that I have to give up everything? i got to give away all my money, i got to give away all my food, that I need to spend all my time weeping and wailing, and that i got to make sure that everybody ha- hates me. Is this what it means that I, in order to be blessed by Jesus? Well, possibly. Because what we discover, and I think this is very specific to those of us who live in West County, is that stuff creates huge distractions in our life. I mean, just... Think about the last couple of weeks in your life and the things that have taken your focus and your time and your energy and your effort. Has there been any time over the last couple of weeks in which you would say, "Mm, I probably have been distracted by Jesus, from Jesus, right, by other things? If you're like me, you would say that. In fact, the challenge that we're... uh, kind of placing before us as a church family so that we can continue this pathway of searching and being rescued by Jesus. Over here on the wall, I commit five minutes to Jesus in prayer every day. We're asking you to give five minutes to Jesus every day. I think that's a great thing to do. Many of you signed up. Those of you online, you put your name there. In fact, if, if you want to sign up even today, you can do that and spend the rest of the month. There's still a couple of weeks left and say, every day I'm going to commit and give five minutes to Jesus. And if you're online and you want to do it and you haven't, put your name in the box and say, I want to commit to giving five minutes to Jesus. That's a great thing. And I hope that you do that. But imagine in your life with your significant others, whether it's somebody you're married to or your family or your kids, imagine that you only gave five minutes a day to them, and the rest of the time, you ignored them. I mean, it's such a crucial thing to help us begin the process of giving our time to Jesus Christ. I mean, I, I get so distracted. I struggle with this a lot. So the elders graciously gave us a couple of Sundays off, and I, we got back on Monday, and 
immediately when we got back, I thought, okay, I got to mow the yard, you know, because I hadn't been there for a while, and then I got to fix the sprinkler system, and then I got to drive across town, I got to pay the guy because we were going to do some work on a shower that's, you know, kind of rusting out around different places in our bathroom, and, and then I got to pay the bills, I got to make sure, you know, you know how it is when you come back and you've been gone for a while, it's like, do you think I was a little bit distracted from my relationship with Jesus? Absolutely. So why would, why would Jesus warn us about things like being rich and well-fed, about laughing in our life, about everyone speaking well of us? Is it because he's against all those things? Or does he know that when we find ourselves in that category, which most of us in this room would be in that category for the most part, that there is this kind of dulling that happens in our life. There's this draw that happens in our life to become independent, to recognize and realize, you know what, I pretty much got most of the things that I need. I'm pretty satisfied in my life. It lulls us into this sense of security, and maybe we don't say it out loud, but do we really need God? Because we have everything that we possibly might need. In fact, if you look through the teachings of Jesus, just in Luke alone, the words that Luke gives us, there are so many warnings about wealth and the things that we happen to have. For example, Luke chapter 18, here's what Jesus says in Luke 18. He looked at them and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. I mean, that's challenging. Or here's Luke chapter 16. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Or here's Luke 12. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And he says, sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then earlier in Luke chapter 12, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you, then who will get what you prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone, whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Jesus knows that the material possessions that we have, that if we are not constantly paying attention to it, it can warp our view of God, it can warp our view of other people, it can lull us into this sense of security in our life. Now, Jesus is not glorifying poverty here, okay? He's not saying, if you're poor, you get to go to heaven. Because we know that like there's a lot of rich people that don't get to heaven, there's a lot of poor people who never put their trust in God. And if you, Luke isn't saying and teaching by the words of Jesus that this is the kind of standard of living that followers of Jesus should have. In fact, in the early part of the book of Acts where we have the, the church, right? You see the church taking care of the needs of everyone so that no one was without things and everyone was provided for. It was a part of the ministry and the work of the church in that particular day. 
So what is Jesus doing in this passage? Well, he's trying to make us uncomfortable and get us to wake up to the reality that if we continue down a path of of following the values of the world around us, the people that we know, we're, we're in trouble. Will I choose the values of Jesus or will I choose the values of the world? Will I follow Jesus or will I follow myself? I think it's important for us to spend time asking the question, do my values line up with the values of Jesus? Dads, I really want to encourage you to build some kind of time in your life in which you periodically do that. You know, maybe you take out your phone, not when your kid's right wanting your attention, but you take out your phone and you type in there maybe, if you maybe once a week, maybe once a month, maybe once a quarter, it just pops up the question, do my values line up with Jesus? Just to kind of periodically force us as dad to ask that question. Because again, what happens to us? We get so distracted by all the things, important things, and good things in our life that suddenly we're not even thinking about where I should be headed with my life. And we look at our schedule for that particular day or that particular week, and we need to ask ourselves, am I following the values of Jesus in the way I plan my schedule? Dads, I think we need to do that. And we need to do it consistently, and we need to do it regularly Because again, it's so easy for us to be pulled away from center. Imagine the freedom that can come of knowing that I'm building my life on the God who made me, who knows life best. Imagine the kind of confidence that comes into our world when we say, I know every single day at this moment and at this time, I know the choices that I'm making aren't based upon my ability to think things through, right? It's not based upon my mind and what I can figure out, but it's based upon the God of the universe who is all-wise and all-knowing. Imagine the impact that could have on your relationships with your kids or the person that you're married to or the people that you work with or imagine the impact of your neighborhood when we live our life based upon the values of Jesus Christ. I pray that all of us would make this choice to just spend some time and say, my values, do they line up with the values of Jesus? Let me pray for us. Lord, Thank you so much for your patience and your love for us. That you do not leave us alone in trying to figure out how to live this life. But Lord, through the teaching of your Son, Father God, you help us to know and to understand how life is best lived. And so today, we, we invite you to speak into our lives, to challenge our lives, to just... Lord, bring about that spark that we need to recognize. We, we need you and we want to follow you and that's the only way life is really meant to be lived. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word. In your most precious name we pray, amen.